0: I actually tend to disagree a lot with a lot of our coaches, mentors in the US, where, where they usually tell you, you can, you can never launch outside your market unless you've saturated your entire market, which I think is wrong, because they usually say that on the perspective of the US. I am against the idea of launch going right, left and center from day one. I do see a lot of virtue in focusing in one market until you get it right. But as long as you feel that you're getting closer and you are seeing signs of product market fit, then I think that's a, that's a time for you to, to consider notch.
1: That was the voice of Omar Hagras, CEO and co-founder of Trella, the online trucking platform. I am your host, Ali Zweil, and this is the Startups Arabia podcast, where you learn about the Arab startups ecosystem from the best founders, investors, and operators in the region. Welcome to the Startups Arabia podcast. My guest today is Omar Hagras. Omar is the co-founder and CEO of Trella, the trucking platform. He started his life as an investment banking analyst at CI Capital, and then moved to Uber, where he was a community operations manager in Cairo, but then transitioned to serve as the launch and expansion EMEA manager based in the UK, where he set up the operations for Uber Eats across EMEA in Dubai, Cape Town, Riyadh, and 40-plus cities. And now, and most importantly, of course, he uh, co-founded Trella. Now, here's our interview.
0: Welcome Welcome to to the Startup for Arabia Arabia podcast. My My guest today is Omar Hagras, the CEO and co-founder of Trella.
1: Trella has been blazing across the region in the last only four to five years. Their app for uh, shipping uh, long-haul containers has launched in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, UAE. Uh, And uh, I'm hoping there's much more to come soon. I'm very happy to uh, talk to you today, Omar. Welcome. Absolutely, my pleasure, Ali. Thank you for having me. So, uh, maybe we can start with, uh, just in a few minutes, if you can tell me how you went into the world of startups and ended up uh, founding Trello and what Trello does uh, in a bit more detail.
0: Sure, sure thing. So, um, first of all, thanks again for having me. Thanks for your time. And I hope this uh, can add value to whoever listens to it. So um uh, first things first, I, I started off my career doing investment banking. Three years down the line, quickly realized not my thing, got what I needed from it, um, particularly on the finance side of things, um, and then joined Uber. So my story actually started with Uber, not with my professional career with investment banking. So I think my first day at Uber... I onboarded 70 or 80 uh, drivers and all of them on the very first day came in, came in and thanked me personally. And this was the first time I understood, I realized, okay, there's some value that you're adding here to the community. Um, and then I realized they were they were thanking me because most of them came from the tourism sector where it wasn't necessarily booming back then when Uber launched. Um, and a lot of them had a lot of spare time and Uber came in to to make sure that their 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 spare time is well spent. So um I I I I stayed with Uber for 12 months in in 9 months in Cairo and then I rejoined our launch and expansion team for Uber Eats across Europe, Middle East and Africa based out of London. Um and then I had a bunch of launches in 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 the Middle East and, and Europe. Um and then I decided to move back to Egypt to launch Trella, but the idea of Trella started off by um, actually me uh, wanting to make an impact and me wanting to make a small change in our world. Um, and then I started looking at all the uh, potential um, startups or uh, marketplaces that could be launched, given I've I've done a ride-hailing marketplace and I've done a three-dimensional marketplace with Uber Eats. I thought, okay, I like the idea of marketplaces. I think I can operate it. And then this is how we launched, uh, how we launched Trend.
1: Yeah, and, and Trella is basically a, a two-sided marketplace between shippers and truckers, right?
0: Yeah, I can give more context on what Trella is. So Trella is um, a marketplace that connects between uh, shippers and, and suppliers. In our case, shippers are the likes of uh, manufacturers, fast-moving good companies, shipping lines... And the supply are the likes of um, truck drivers, be it fleet partners or individual operators. And our marketplace connects both supply and demand together.
1: Right. So, I mean, that brings the classic two-sided marketplace kind of question, which is, how did you go about kickstarting things? People, you know, the the truckers to come, they want to see people to ship, you know, their stuff and uh, and vice versa uh, so how do you solve this chicken and egg issue how did you solve it
0: so i, I think it really depends on the market so a marketing um, like in egypt uh, it's oversupplied so the marketplace really starts off by focusing on the demand side of things in in a marketplace like saudi it's extremely undersupplied so the supply leads demand if you have supply basically people will sign with you and close contracts quickly so um and again that, that's the beauty of a marketplace not all countries are the same it's also the complications of a marketplace because you have a lot of iterations to go to go until you reach a certain milestone so um if you ask me if if we are to take a case-by-case basis I'm, i'd probably take the case in saudi where really controlling and managing the supply as much as possible making sure sure you have supply availability at good prices is how you start off your flywheel so, and the way we look at this is supply leads demand. Supply brings in more, uh, demand demand makes drivers more, more engaged. Engagement brings more demand and so forth. And, and the flywheel starts, uh, kicking in. So that's basically how, how, how we thought about both.
1: Yep. Right. That, that's a beautiful way of like simplifying the question of what, which side to start with, which is, you know, which one. Uh, has more of a deficit than starting there. So in your case, it was suppliers. Uh, it's a very interesting way of looking at, uh, you know, the different uh, markets. And, 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 you know, I, I realize in your story, it wasn't that easy. It, it included spending some time in a, in a jail cell. It included uh, trucks uh, being turned over. Uh, it included many things of that sort. So maybe you can tell us about that, like, first deal and first way things went. So so
0: I'm um, I'm 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 curious to know how you knew about this the, the jail cell piece, but it's actually uh, it was actually a very funny story this was our big, our first big customers first big shipper and we had a a, a load happening in 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 the Damietta port um so I was there me and a few other folks from the team uh, we kept going back and forth and then for you to enter the port you need a certain pass and I was riding with one of my co-founders, Mohammed Al-Garim. Uh, he was next to me, and he's been there a couple of days before I arrived. And the last day for, for me, I was in the car next to him. He gives me he, he gives me my, supposedly my ID, ID and, and the ID doesn't have a, f- a picture or anything. It just says ID, or my name. And, and So I give the guy the name, the, the ID, and he looks at it, and he's like, this is not your ID. I was like, what do you mean it's not my ID? It has my name on it. And then I look at it, it actually does not have my name. <laughs> and I look at Gerim and then Gerim looks at me, he, he's like, ah, oh. like, what do you mean? Oh? And then the guys asked <laughs> ask us to stop aside. We stopped, I came down and he he asked me to, uh, to to go to the police station, which was located inside the port. I went there, they, asked, they, they they thought I was plagiarizing my my ID or just using a different ID to to be to, a fake ID to get in. That wasn't the case. Apparently, on the same day, there was a big issue happening at the port. So I was just a bit unlucky at a very unlucky time where they where they caught me. And, and I stayed there for a few hours and then I had to. Uh, and then I I figured figured my way out. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting uh, it was an interesting uh, week. Same week, we had all kinds all, literally all kinds of chaos. So we had accidents, we had theft attempts, we had uh, the the jail cell situation. Um, We couldn't source supply at the beginning. So at the beginning, I think we had a a commitment to fulfill 50 loads a day. (laughs) We couldn't fulfill more than, I think, 10 loads in the first two days. So it wasn't looking funny at all. Uh, But then we managed to figure things out and ramp up. So I think, if you look at us at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week, it was it was actually a very successful week. Uh, and, and, and I usually look at this as a reflection to um, to the startup cycle, to founders trying to build a, a company. It's always very, very, very tough. But if you're persistent, if you keep going, if you keep trying, if you keep innovating and if you don't give up, and obviously not just not giving up, but not giving up, learning from your mistakes and thinking about how to solve your solutions, I'd I'd take a big, big bet that this company will eventually uh, make it.
1: Yeah, so it it, it really, I'd like to underline this fact that so many startups go to this, through this kind of trial by fire situation, and, and these are really the, the situations where the company's culture and, uh, and abilities are molded. And uh, those who pass through this trial uh, always do great things, one way or another. Um, so uh, let's jump maybe a, a bit to uh, further down the road, maybe one year, one and a half years after that. You made a very interesting decision to me, which was to acquire uh, another startup, uh, Truck2, uh, which was based in Egypt. Uh, acquisitions are are normal in the startup world, but 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 the, the the timing of 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 this acquisition it was so early. It was very interesting for me to 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 tell you to ask you know what, what was the thinking behind that.
0: So so uh, very good question, and I think we've got this question quite a few times here and there. But um, acquisitions are definitely normal in 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 the startup world. However, not that early as you mentioned. So. Why we've done it was mainly to, um, Truck2 actually started off as one of our competitors. So uh, we did have this view of, shall we invest in Trello or shall we invest in Truck2? So that was one. And then second piece was Truck2 did launch two years before us. So they did have a very, very, very strong database for truck drivers um and then third thing, third piece was uh, one of our competitors also wanted to 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 acquire them so it was also slightly defensive from our side to make sure that we we are protecting um this area as much as possible and this is our territory this is our turf so we want to make sure that we're growing in uh, in Egypt systematically without without a lot of um Pressure, if you want to put it, if you want to put it that way. So I think all in all, if I go back in time, and we usually, we we usually ask ourselves this, these questions a lot. Like, if you go back in time, would you make this decision, yes or no? Because we've we've made a lot of wrong decisions, and if I go back in time, I change a lot of the the wrong decisions I've made. But this is definitely not one of them. Um, the 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 until today, this acquisition actually is responsible for maybe twenty to twenty five percent of our uh, uh, revenues today. So. I would definitely go back in time and do it um, for, the, for the revenues that we're generating, for the database that we've got, and for, for us building quite a strong defensive network for us in Egypt here.
1: Great, it must have been a challenge to integrate them into Trella at this early stage. I don't know how your respective teams, how, how the sizes of the different teams, uh, were they equal or were they more people? How, how did you go about and, that and the culture?
0: It's 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 definitely a challenge. It's definitely a very big challenge, actually. But it really depends on what you want from the from the from the acquisition. Do you want the team? Do you want the the revenue? Do you want the the the, the contracts? So it was it was that that type of thing. We obviously, and there are cases where you want some of the team, not all of the team. You want all of the contracts, and you want the know-how so the know-how you can get by by having some of these 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 folks in our case we needed some of the team and, and this was fairly fairly easy to to absorb uh and they blended in within the, the culture so it wasn't it wasn't the other way around um and we did manage to get all the contracts we wanted out of this as well so things played fairly well for us
1: right so another, another interesting decision uh, you did, also relatively speaking, early was uh, trailer Store, to s- basically a new line of business selling uh, things like tires and batteries uh, to your uh, one side of your marketplace, which is the the truckers, and uh, that was also relatively speaking easier and uh, I mean uh, uh, early. And the the thought I'm having is okay. This is a great line of business. I see the focus on it, for example, on your Facebook page, uh, uh, targeting Egypt, et cetera. Uh, at the same time, uh, this is going to take resources, even if they're minimal, uh, from other that you could have put in the main business. So, so how did you make that decision?
0: It depends on how you look at at, 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 at basically any ancillary revenue streams. Um, if the interior revenue streams are going to um, enable the core business then this is one that is worth investing your resources in obviously knowing that the time is right and all of that it, i wouldn't launch two two products in the first couple of years of, of building a company for example um, but i think in, in our case t-store complements are offering to the truck drivers a lot now truck drivers know if they come on Trella, they get access to demand, they get access to financing, and they get access to their trade tools and to buy their trade tools here and there. So by doing that, we we sort of have a closed loop ecosystem for our truck drivers and we be like, okay, we are the, the the marketplace of choice for truck drivers to join. And um, that's one. And then two is also while building while building Trello story, we asked ourselves, how how do you want to ma- to operate this? Do you want this to be an asset light? Do you want to this to be an a, a asset heavy where we uh, we operate the, the the warehouses and all of that, or we want this to be a hybrid of both? We we said one, we're solving for a, a better custom customer experience. Be this us managing. Obviously, we would like as much as possible to be less uh involved in, in 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 the operational hassle but if this means better customer experience we'll do it and um, so we had a, a set of criteria and a set of outcomes that we're trying to solve for and then we said okay what's the best way to get us there and we've realized that actually a hybrid of uh, owning this the inventory and 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 leaning on some of our partners for fulfillment was actually the best one and and the entire t-store business is actually being operated by less than five or six people until today so that's uh and it's, it generates ten to ten to fifteen percent of our revenues as well. So that's something to be proud of.
1: Wow! <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and this type of like mentality of guerrilla kind of uh, setup is is great. The, the idea that a small team can do so much. Um, Absolutely. And so, why did you? I mean, you're already uh, in less than four to five years. Uh, you, you're already in about, you're in four markets. Each market is very different from the others. So Saudi Arabia, Egypt, UAE, Pakistan, they're very different from each other. Uh, they're all like, they're, they're spread across many time zones. Uh, wh- why did you make that uh, decision to expand across these areas? So relatively speaking quickly, you could have, I guess there's still more, Market saturation to be done in Egypt, or maybe in your second market of Saudi Arabia, for example.
0: So, so I guess I guess the first question would be on how you define different, um, because the the way we look at it is is how we look at it from from a load cycle perspective. So we look at the load cycle, we literally draw the load cycle as a whole. And then we look at our customer persona. So we look on the shipper side and we look on the carrier side and then we try we try understanding, does this product with those personas fit in this market? So can we can this product fit in this market? And can we find those exact personas on those markets? So that's that's how I would that's how I, I would I would basically put it. Um, if if we look at the GCC in general, UAE and Saudi, I actually do consider both of them as sort of a unit, especially that if you're operating cross borders here and there. So the cross borders that we operate in, in Saudi, we plan on launching new countries or new cities in, in 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 Jordan, in in Oman, in Kuwait, in Lebanon. So like there is a plan to actually grow the cross border function in the GCC, and that's something that is um, currently uh, happening. If you look at what type of product you want to offer there, you, maybe some of these questions would answer the question of how different those markets are from each other. For us, we operate the cross-border function as a unit, so that's that's one. Uh, we look at the customer persona. So the customers, customer persona, for example, in between Egypt and Pakistan is almost the same independent operators in egypt independent operators in pakistan sometimes you have fleet partners or brokers in between both the 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 the, the shipper and the, the independent operator which is exactly the same between egypt and saudi the shippers is are more or less the same across all our markets so that's that's one thing and then i think there's one thing as well that i i actually tend to disagree a lot with a lot of our coaches mentors in the us where where they usually tell you you can you can never launch outside your market unless you've saturated your entire market, which I think is wrong, because they usually say that on the perspective of the U.S. So it's like you're you're going to Uber, who, who started off in San Francisco, and you're telling Uber you cannot launch outside of San Francisco before. Uh, before you figured that out in 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 San Francisco, and that, well, while not while that not, has not been the case actually, I think Uber went to San Francisco, went to New York, went to some of the big cities before. Not necessarily when they have reached full MVP, like I think full product market fit. I think once they've once they've seen good signs or positive signs towards product market fit, they actually started green lighting and launching a bunch of a bunch of cities. So. In our case, we also look at it that way. I am against the idea of launch and going right, left, and center from day one. I do see a lot of virtue in focusing in one market until you get it right. But as long as you feel that you're getting closer and you are seeing signs of product market fit, then I think that's a, that's a time for you to, to consider launch.
1: Great. Yeah, and I think that that deep understanding of your customer and, and their needs is is so important. In you know, their need for cross-border shipments, etc., it just drives your, uh, you know, your your direction, and uh, that's the right way to drive your direction. So, <clears throat> w- when raising your last round, it was a total of <clears throat> forty-two million dollars, and fifteen million of it was venture debt. So, how did you decide that to to raise debt in addition to equity?
0: So, I think a big mistake a lot of startups actually do in the region is that they do not leverage venture debt. I think venture debt is um, is a great tool to boost uh, your runway with less dilution. Um, enables you to have more cash on hand. Enables you like it's a bunch of things. Enables you to uh, to enter into new ventures. Enables you to leverage your balance sheet. Like there's a lot of really positive things of having debt um, in parallel to your to your fundraise. Um, I was I was speaking to an investor the other the other week and and I think one w- he mentioned something around the line like now we're making it sort of mandatory and he said sort of because obviously they cannot push their 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 their, their companies to do things they don't want but he's like we're making it sort of mandatory for startups to raise debt with their venture uh, with their with their fundraiser because it's it's good um, one the one disclaimer though is that if you do not have a strong treasury guy or a strong CFO or a strong finance person whom who can manage the fund and allocate uh, the receivables or the the payables in a in a healthy manner. I would not advise for venture debt. venture that is quite meticulous. The process is quite long, um, and even when after you like get the debt itself, the operational hassle and hurdle and integrations that you need to do with your lender is is quite a hassle. So. Uh, I as much as I vouch for it, I think people or, or startups need to be um ready for 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 it. Um it's it's because they don't get the same upside as an equity investor. So they are going to be a little bit more um, focused on on the downside. They're trying to protect themselves from any downside basically versus versus an equity investor who's solving for growth and then as for growth, and then as you grow, the company's valuation is going to go up and then there's an upside for them as well. So that's, 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 that's one thing. The, 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 other, the other thing is I, I generally think venture debt, besides obviously increasing your runway, et cetera, and all of that, I, I generally see venture debt as um, a tool to make you more disciplined. Because uh, when, when you have venture debt, your lenders are going to take enough protections to make sure that this company um, doesn't necessarily go bust well, as long as the, the line is active. And if it does, then they have room for them to protect, to protect their downside. So I, I do see a lot of virtue in, in, in this also making you more disciplined as you manage your Receivables and payables as well. It depends on what type of debt you've 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 taken. Um, and I think lastly, venture debt is fairly new to the region, and not not a lot of people have done it. I think I, I'm not sure about that. It's just I think we were one of the first, if not the first, to to tap into into venture debt. And we, if we go back in time, we will do it again. And we're actually doing. Um, we're looking at a few other 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 deals as we speak. Venture debt. So. Um, it's a uh, i'd i'd go for it
1: interesting so it's a great way to to increase your runway without uh, dilution too much dilution but it's something that you have to really calculate very well and you make sure you have the structures to to handle and manage this situation otherwise it's better not to do it alright um also, uh, in this round, one of the main, the lead investors. There were two lead investors, but one of them w- was uh, Merck's uh, Ventures, and Merck, Merck is obviously in the same industry, shipping at large. Uh, you know, shipping. Uh, I, I, I suppose they also deal with your uh, with Trello as a kind of uh, one of your customers. But, you know, the, when, when you get an investor in who is in the same industry, I mean, there are benefits to this, but there are also potentially risks to that. So how, how did you make that decision to to bring in a corporate uh, VC from the same industry? And, and how are you thinking of that?
0: <laughs> I, wish, I wish I can tell you I, I, I was very sophisticated with my search and all of that, but that wasn't the case. As with any fundraise, you... You're basically treating it as a funnel. You try as much as possible to increase your top of funnel so that you can, as much as possible, have have a have a a, a big success rate. And part of this funnel happens to be merge growth. In fact, actually, merge growth came after we did have after we did receive a term sheet from uh, two term sheets actually from one investor who backed out last minute and from another investor who actually did co-join or co-led, co-led, co-led the round with Maersk. If you look into this as a funnel and try to look at the conversion rates as well between first investor, like literally my, I have a CRM for investors where it says uh, first touch point, second touch point, follow up, uh, closed one, closed, like it's a, literally a sales a sales funnel. Um, and every funnel of these you have, you keep losing, churning some customers, some of them you lose, some of them you, of them don't respond etc cetera, etc cetera. so with Merck they actually came in late they came in as a referral from one of our investors and this was a bit late after we did receive the term sheet and they finished everything due diligence speaking to us everything in less than 10 days so if we again if we look if we look back at it and if we look back into to this in a way that is how you build your fundraise we you we Usually we target to have 400 to 500 investors to talk to, and from those 400 to 500 investors, we, if you take a one to two percent success rate, maybe four to t- five to ten of them are gonna join are gonna join your uh, your cap table. Uh, today, I would argue less than one percent would would do. I would I would say one to five of them are gonna join your cap table these days, um, and I, I guess I guess that's fine. If you wanna if you wanna be more sophisticated about it then you probably need to have to speak to a yep. thousand investors rather than for 500 investors to be able to get there
1: yeah uh but and and you're not worried that potential like conflicts with merck's Mersk at some point or you know uh them uh because of their being in the shipping industry or or b- having uh maybe uh a position to um, how can i put it like influence any exit uh, as you know um, choices for you in the future
0: uh,
1: so two things one we don't have
0: um, an exclusive agreement by any chance by any means so so that's one thing to give us more comfort and then the second piece which i think is also important is why would you be why would you fear that if you don't have a non, uh, an, uh, if it's non-exclusive, you don't have any exclusivity in place. You don't necessarily; it's not something basically to fee, to to be afraid of. Um, in fact, they can do it with or without you, if that's the case, and you can do it with or without them as well, if that's the case. So, I I know the short answer is as long as you're protecting yourself with the with a contract, you shouldn't be afraid.
1: Right. So, I mean, going back to the fundraise, uh, the headline, you know, $42 million raise, etc. Some people or some founders, they're like, you know, when I raise $42 million, it's going to be game over. I'm going to be able to, I, I've done it, I've, I've reached uh, the end point, I can relax and focus on operation and things like that. What would you tell these people? Uh so I think I think I'll 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 look at it how
0: I looked at it when we close when we closed the round when we closed the round I by all means didn't we didn't see this as we've done it and 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 that's it bye bye no we've actually we've actually looked at it as we're we're just getting started we're we're continuing on our mission we're continuing to build the 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 second piece is people it really it really depends I know like I know SaaS companies who did one raise at five million dollars and now they're value at multi billion multi billion dollars and and it, that's it they don't need to raise money they 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 were smart enough to grow the company super fast without the need to raise a single dime or maybe without the need to raise post their seed round in um, in our case i think this is um, this is a capital intensive business with with heavy heavy working capital requirements so I do see us raising rounds as we go, but it depends on really how you look at rounds. Stripe is still raising rounds at a hundred billion dollar valuation. I mean, that was six months ago. Now I think the valuation is being revised. But Stripe, Stripe was raising money at a billion dollar. Can can did Stripe really need this money to raise? No, they raised it for mergers, acquisitions. Like they were quite diligent with why they why they raise the money i think the press release also mentioned a few things here and there so so no it really depends on why are you raising the money you can keep raising your money as long as you go i'm not a fan of fundraising by the way like i think if you can fundraise less and focus on business and operations and bring your company to a place where it can scale and generate free cash flows that's obviously the most ideal uh, ideal scenario uh, we're not there yet. I think we need another year or two to be able to, to, to yeah. do that. And within that uh, period, we'll probably have another raise.
1: Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, uh, you have competitors in the region. I believe one of them recently raised uh, $96 million Series B uh, in Saudi. Uh, and this must put on the pressure a bit. So, so how, how do you see competition and differentiation uh, bet- in the region? for this market
0: so so with without any uh flashy statements i i, I think a, a big problem is, is if a lot of people think of competition uh, raising money as a pressure because this basically leads to uh, uncontrollable burn, uncontrollable uh, tactics wrong tactics here and there to win the game when 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 a lot of people not when actually, if you if you have a roadmap and you want to focus on what you're building and you want to focus on the right inputs that would eventually allow you to grow, outgrow your competitions by 10 times, is just trust the process, trust what you build. Have this urgency to deliver this on time. Have this urgency to create alignment between teams, um, and that that's that's what matters. What matters more. Um, I do see a lot of uh, companies following competition blindly, and I think this is wrong this is very very wrong actually it, it could create havoc in one way or another um, in our case no I, we don't see competition in fact we actually see competition raising money as something very positive because they educate the market with us um, especially the markets where we're not operational so so we we see this as something very positive do we want to compete with them are we aggressive 100 we're very aggressive we, we'll compete with them we'll eventually win uh, but we need to have this roadmap trust the process trust that if you continue going that way we'll be able to eventually uh, uh, we, we have this thing internally at Trellis where we say the long haul is ours so we're in this for the long haul we're in this to build the right solution to solve the right problem and that's great. how we'll uh, we'll take it from there
1: great so let me dig into the business the business model for trailer a little bit uh, you know how, how do you charge Shippers, how do you contract truckers? Uh, what's your take rate? How, how, who do you take it from? Um, can you tell me more about that? Uh,
0: basically, it's um, think of think of think of Trella as an Amazon for loads. We buy the loads from the shippers. So let's say um, we'll we'll give a very random name, Musk. We we buy the loads from Musk. And we sell those loads to truck drivers, and the difference between the prices that we bought it with and the prices that we sold it with is basically the spread or or our margin. So, we buy the load for a hundred dollars from hundred EGP from Merck, we sell it for ninety EGP, and then we have ten percent. This is our take rates. It's as simple as that.
1: Right. So, so that's uh, that's your current business model. Is that how you started with it, or did this evolve? No, that's how it started from day one. Yeah. So um, I'm, I have so many questions for you, but you have a hard stop. Uh, so uh, I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to have to jump um, to some of my later questions that I want to cover. I've noticed that you guys at Trello, you have some uh, company values that are very um, heavily communicated, both internally and, uh, and externally. And, and 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 that you seem to focus on building a strong culture, uh, and that it seems to have started quite early uh, in trela's uh, journey. So, can you tell me more about that? Why you started so early? You know how how you came up with the values, you came up with, and uh, and tell me more about that. And what's important yeah. about culture in a startup?
0: Hundred percent. So, and actually, I, I think I'm i I like this question a lot because it's something that I care about a lot as well. So. A lot of people usually um, look at culture as and look at the nice culture as a culture where you can have, I don't know, sushi for 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 lunch or you can have a fuse ball at the office or or whatever. like a lot of entertainment as part of a nice culture. When I think this is wrong, actually, I think a nice culture is a culture that is determined to win. And have this constant nag and constant urgency to work with the team to be able to achieve the uh, the, the company's mission and goal. Um, and 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 one of the things actually I think that help us retain our talent most in Trella is not not that we pay highest. In fact, we don't. Um, not that we. Um, we have the most amazing business model in the world. Um, some people would, would, would say, yes, this is a great model, but others as well say no. But they are still part of this company because they want to solve the problem. And I think culture is what made us where we are now. I can comfortably say we have the best team any startup would want to have in this part of the world, in this region, not just Egypt and that's something we're very proud of the reason why these people stick around is not because and we've been through some very very hard times with the hard times we've been people are still sticking around so that's one thing uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for and that's one thing if i go back in time again we'll invest in culture we'll invest in the in setting up the the, the values on the values piece itself i think we started off the values exercise in 2021 so that was yeah, that was like a, a couple of years, a year, a year, a year and a half after we started, and we were absolutely focused to make sure that we're getting this right. Um, we have seven values that we live by. One thing that I would make sure to to also make this very clear is that I am, as much as I love all our values, I think some of them are being misused, and I think some of them. So. Um, As an example, we have a value. One of our values is better done than perfect. And you can, at at the beginning, we started seeing a lot of people maybe reducing the quality of work for the sake of getting things done. And that's not necessarily what getting, like better done than perfect means. Better done than perfect means, yes, you can execute, you can get things done fast in good quality. You don't have to, it doesn't need to, you don't need to be an artist or a painter to, 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 to To show us your work, just make sure that it's it's delivered in a good way, so that you the whoever is uh, reading it can can comfortably give you feedback and 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 have this uh, productive back and forth. Um, I, I I I we are going through an exercise in Q two to actually go through our, our values again, make sure that we are having these in a place where it's. It's in good shape it's not being misused it's actually adding the value that we wanted to add, to be added um, and there's no um we and we actually see ourselves adding more values as we grow um, and i think a lot of the companies the big companies are there i think netflix for example they added one of their values 10 years or 15 years after the company uh, have, 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 have been built and that's fine and the one they added was really on culture difference and inclusion and all of that. And this is really when they started launching and growing way outside the, 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 the U.S.
1: Yep. Um, I, I really agree with, uh, with all you've said. And, and sometimes also companies, after a while, they, they remove values. Like uh, when Facebook removed, move fast and break things because they were like handing the, the social networking for 2 billion people. And they couldn't really break things that that as as simply as it was when they started, and they needed to move uh, much faster. Uh, so I mean that 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 aspect is also there and always evolving. The values I totally agree is so important. And uh, okay, I mean the next uh, question is kind of a personal one, uh, or um, as from what I understand, you used to play jujitsu. And uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, what, is the, what is in common between, you know, being a karate player and being a startup founder?
0: So, uh, amazing question again. I, I actually reflect on this question a lot. Um, I would maybe, if I, uh, if, I, if I may, I would tweak the question a little bit. What's in common between uh, being a startup founder and being an athlete in general? Uh, I think I think sports teaches <laughs> teaches you a lot of things. The top three things sports teaches you is one, uh, being constantly under stress, under pressure, um, how this basically makes you stronger, enables this grit, this perseverance to to keep going no matter what the situation is. Um, two, it allows you to make decisions fast, especially if you're um, in a in a in one of those games or tennis, water polo, football, handball, like things that requires you to make quick decisions fast, you have this mental model being formed as you go. And then three, it actually allows you to be a team player, even if it's an individual sport, by the way. Jiu-Jitsu is an individual sport, but it allows you to care about your team, make sure to train them before their competitions, make sure to be there where they compete and all of that. So all of this is... is, is Something that I uh, cherish a lot about sports. I'm big on sports. I'll continue doing sports for the rest of my life, I hope. And, and I and I and I generally think it's 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 important for everyone to to do sports.
1: Great. Um, I have so many more questions to you uh, about so many details, but uh, our time is running out, so I'm going to go into the quick fire uh, questions. Uh, basically, a quick question, and uh, if you can, and a quick reply. And then we can wrap up. So the first one is, what book or books do you like to recommend to others? Uh, I
0: mean, there's a lot of books. Um, I would actually maybe maybe refer some books that are not necessarily related to the to business. Uh, I think I think they also help a lot. Um, so there, I have a, I have a list of some of, some of the books. So maybe on building habits and all of that, you have. Atomic Habits and Power: The Power of Habit. Both of them are really uh, good. Good on biographies, I would uh, I would recommend Open uh, for Andrea Agassi. So it's a sports biography, but it's really, 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 really good. I would recommend Da Vinci by Walter Isaacson. This too is really good. It it, it shows you how these. Uh, really, really legendary icons went through their own creative battle back and forth to th- think through things. Uh, on memoirs, I would recommend uh, When Breath Becomes Air. This is by far my favorite book ever. It's about uh, a doctor who, uh, who's 36 years mm-hmm. old and got diagnosed by terminal cancer. So he's writing his last... Year or two, uh, he's been literally documenting them. It's 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 a it's a very interesting topic to 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 understand death and all of that. But it's also um, it it also is uh, touching. Um, what else? I mean, I have a bunch of them behind me on po- on politics. Oh yeah. Obviously, on 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 on, I think philosophy is is, 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 is very interesting. Anti anti fragile is, is 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 a very. I'm 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 not very good at reading philosophy books. I'm still trying to teach myself. I'm actually very slow, but anti fragile is 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 one of them, um, and meditations is also a good one.
1: Great. So, so um, another question is, I mean, how do you unwind and how do you stay energized with all the stress?
0: Uh, I do a lot of sports, I have, I'm, a, I'm very, very close to my routine, so I sleep very early, I wake up very early, uh, I've been doing that for the good four or five years now, so I'm, I'm going to continue doing that, I think sports manage to also help me uh, manage stress, and then I think periodic time off is also very important, there, there, you need to shut down completely every two to three months. For a few days and then come get back at it. So I try to do all three um, quite religiously. Yeah,
1: cool. And 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 uh, if we have, uh, who would you suggest as guests on our podcast? I would suggest <laughs> uh,
0: from from the ecosystem in Egypt or in the region in Zen?
1: um most people who who somehow are touching the region so whether founders or vcs just just the first two or three names that come to mind uh, i would i would recommend uh, ahmed hamouda
0: from thunder i would recommend tino waked and omar hasib from sawa it's a, it's a it's a fintech b2b fintech coming up co- coming i mean coming to life in a few in a few weeks i would recommend Meerbel from Max Up. I think all three are from different stages so that would help help the audience a lot
1: Yeah. absolutely so I'd like to close the podcast on a note of gratitude so um, can you tell us about a gift someone has given you that has really affected your life in a positive way
0: um I, I don't often often get a lot of gifts except for like very my wife probably vampires me with the gifts and my close friends but generally speaking i think the best gift i've received was from um, was from was from my parents and it wasn't necessarily a gift per se it was uh, uh, it could have been a, a, a fishing trip. It could have been a, a trip where we traveled all together somewhere around. But the reason why I, I, I cherish this gift a lot is because every time I went on my I went on with my parents, I did learn something new. I did uh, it shaped who I am today, and 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 it shaped who how I think. And 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 those times with my parents um, traveling were the times where we managed to get as much time talking about things so i cherish i cherish the the time spent with my parents as much as possible as the best gift i've received
1: that's a great note to end on omar thank you very much for your time and hope to have you on again soon
0: thank you ali and thank you everyone it uh, it was a real pleasure uh, to be around and i hope this uh, added some value to everyone
1: thank you absolutely thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of Startups Arabia podcast. If there was something you really liked about what the guests said today, reach out to them on social media and tell them what you liked. And of course, if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? You don't want to miss any of our great upcoming episodes. Also, please rate us and give us comments on our social media accounts so that we know how to improve. And also tell us what you like. We don't mind hearing that either. Until next time, this was your host, Ali's Whale.